continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount today. So let's pray. God wants to do something powerful. I've been praying this morning, God, do something supernatural. How many like that? Do something supernatural in our lives. So Father, I thank you this morning. We all have burdens. Right now, we just want to lift our burdens to you. Whatever the challenges we're experiencing, whatever the difficulties, whatever the concerns that we have, we want to lay them at your feet today. We know that you are greater than our problems. We know that you can do impossible things in relationships, in our physical body, in our minds, at work, at home. Whatever the issue is, Father, we want to just lay them down at your feet right now. Your word tells us if we cast all our cares on you, you care for us. And I pray today, as we open our heart and mind, as we listen with our souls to hear your voice speaking specifically into our current context, our present situation, the things that we're dealing with, I pray that this message will speak and help in those contexts. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and God's people said... Amen. Amen. You may be seated. A woman was coming home from work and she decided to stop off at the corner deli and she asked the butcher there because she wanted to buy chicken for supper. So the butcher reached into the barrel. He grabbed the last chicken, put it on the scales behind the counter and told the woman its weight. She thought for a moment. I really need a little bit more chicken, she said. Do you have any larger ones? Without a word, the butcher put the chicken back into the barrel, groped around as though he was finding another one, pulled out the same chicken, put it on the scales, and he said, this chicken weighs one pound more. The woman pondered her options and said, okay, I'll take them both. <laughs> it is surprising how often our mouths get us into trouble. Anybody relate to that? You know, I, I love Simon Peter in the Bible. You know, he's the kind of person that you say, open mouth, insert foot. You know, it's just so amazing how many times he gets into trouble. He, he's talking before he's thinking. None of you have ever had that issue, but you probably said a few things and said, I wish later I had not said that. But the problem is actually far deeper than what we're saying. It's not just our mouth, because the reality is, what we're saying comes from a deeper source. It's actually an issue of the heart. And that's what Jesus was dealing with on the Sermon on the Mount. He, he's literally taking the Torah, the Old Testament, the law of God, and he's explaining to a very highly religious group of people who think that they're obeying the law and pointing out to them where they're missing the intent of the law. You know, you can outwardly look like you're conforming to something, but inwardly be missing it by a mile. And so the Sermon on the Mount really zeroes in on what's happening on the inside of our lives. As a matter of fact, Jesus says in Luke's gospel, a good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And so we can kind of begin to evaluate a little bit of our lives by, you know, what do we talk about? And how do we talk about it? And what is our passion? And what are our interests? And, and do we, you know, we can say that well, I'm, I'm passionately a follower of Jesus Christ, but our mouths probably give us away more than we realize. So Jesus is now addressing this whole issue of speech. 
of speaking. And I think that we're living in a time where we're struggling with things like honesty and integrity and truthfulness and the idea of just verbally the kind of commitments we are making or not making. And it's interesting in the text that this uh, text that we're going to look at here in chapter 5, verse 33, follows after chapter 30, verse 32, where Jesus had just finished talking about the whole issue of divorce. And then he moves into this whole thing about oaths and, vow, and vows. And so let's pick it up here in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 33. We're going to look at five verses this morning and read down to verse 37. So you brought your Bible, let's turn there because I'm going to keep referring back to these five verses. We're going to come back to them a few times. Matthew 5, 33. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago. So he's referring back to Moses's uh, teaching on the, on the law, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Now already we go, well, why would we be swearing by, you know, earth, footstools, you know, uh, sorry, earth, Jerusalem, why are they swearing by these things? That's an interesting point. We're going to look at that. He says, do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. And I would add, without artificial help. <laughs> All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. So Jesus is now trying to tell us, many times we say too much. Sometimes we need to simplify what we're saying. We need to, uh, you know, the thing that you're going to get across today is you need to say what you mean and mean what you say. That's very powerful. D.A. Carson says some people think that the fact that Jesus says don't make oaths and vows means that God is prohibiting us from doing it. In other words, God's forbidding us from doing these things like taking an oath in a courtroom or taking an oath of allegiance. Now, there's some Christians that actually take this literally and they follow it to that letter and they, won't, they refuse to take an oath. Now, is this what Jesus means? No. Well, we'll see why. However, it needs to be noticed first that the Old Testament does permit men to take oaths, even oaths in God's name. So we know that it's okay to do in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 20, Fear the Lord your God and serve him, hold fast to him, and take your oaths in his name. So we already know that oath-taking in the name of God was being done. What Jesus is addressing is the abuse of this. Jesus is addressing some of the problems that had arisen because of this. So he's not trying to nullify the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, we know from verse 17 of chapter 5, Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, I came to fulfill the law. I came to complete the law. So it's not, it's not like the law doesn't apply anymore. See, that's, that's a false thinking sometimes as Christians. And what I mean by that is, you know, it says do not commit, do not kill. You know, do not uh, steal. Do, do not bear false witness. Those things are still applying today because when Jesus summarized it in the New Testament, what does he say? He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How many know if you love someone, you're not going to destroy them? Isn't that true? If 
you really love a person, you're going to enhance their lives, not diminish their lives. So he's not taking the power of the law away. I believe that the New Testament is actually helping us understand what God's original intent was when he created the laws in the first place. And he wants us to have our heart into it and understand it's not just following the letter of the law. A lot of people can conform outwardly to a, a, a kind of a spiritual standard and it looks like they're a good Christian, but inwardly and they're in a total state of rebellion. Their hearts are far from God. They're just outwardly going through the mechanics of the thing. And what God is interested in is where is your heart? As a matter of fact, David, when he was anointed king, it's very fascinating when you read the story, I was reading it this morning, that Samuel came and he, he was going to one of the sons of Jesse. He didn't know which one. And, and, and Jesse lines up seven of his eight sons in front of the prophet. The first one, his name is Eliab. He's, you know, and, and Samson, or Samuel thinks, this has got to be the next king. And a little later on, you can see why God didn't choose him, because he was critical, he was unsupportive, he had, he had deep down things inside that were wrong. And so God says, listen, human beings, we tend to judge on the outward appearance. What God looks at is what's going on the inside of us. God is seeing the condition of our heart. And so God says, he's not qualified to be the king. As a matter of fact, David, the one that nobody even figured out would be the king because he was the runt of the litter maybe or he was the, he was the kid. He was the little guy, right? He becomes the one they anoint. You can imagine how much chagrin the older brothers felt when the youngest son was anointed king. But once the spirit of God came on David, amazing things started happening. He had a heart that was right. As a matter of fact, later on we read even in the New Testament, it's describing David as a man after God's own heart. And the reason why David was a man after God's heart, how do, you have to have a, how, how do you have a heart after God? It's because you desire to do the will of God. There's something deep inside of us that says, I want to obey God. I want to please God. I'm not living to please others and myself for, foremost. I'm living to please God. Yes, some of those other things happen as a result of that, but primarily, I want to please God. So even a casual look at the New Testament will reveal that oaths were utilized, and Paul, for example, regularly swore by God's name. In particular, he calls God as his witness. Therefore, if Paul knew of this teaching of Jesus, he certainly did not take it in an absolute sense, as D.A. Carson points out. Now, how many realize that God even swears by, it creates an oath? And he does it in the New Testament. So why do people create an oath? Why do, why do we even do this? Why do we utilize oath? Well, the answer is we're trying to bring across the solemnity or the, the power of, you know, we're saying this is what is. You know, we're trying to make this real. We're trying to solidify this. And so in Hebrews chapter 6, it says this in chapter uh, verse 16, People always swear by a great, someone greater than themselves. How many know that's true? And you know, in our culture, earlier in our culture, when we had a very stronger Judeo-Christian basis in our culture, we actually have Bibles in courtrooms. And people would swear to, you know, on the Bible, basically what they were swearing is, before Almighty God, I'm saying I'll only tell the truth and nothing but the truth. They were taking an oath. And, G and here we read, people swear by someone greater than themselves. In other words, they're swearing by God. And the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all arguments. 
In other words, they're saying, this is the absolute truth. If you try to discover it to be false, you won't find it that way. And it was a very severe penalty in the legal system to perjure yourself. You say, what's perjury? That you're swearing it's the truth, but you know you're telling a lie. That's called perjury. And, you know, there's penalties for that. Even today there's penalties for perjury. If you go to court and they ask you to tell the truth and you lie to them and they find out about it, you can go to jail or get fined or you're going to get some sentence for perjury. So this is an important concept. Verse 17, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath and he swore by himself. How many know you can't swear beyond God? God's the greatest person, so he couldn't go beyond himself, okay? Now, if God is taking an oath, we have to say, well, listen, what Jesus is saying here does not literally mean you can't take an oath. That's the point I'm trying to drive across here. So, uh, what, were the, what was the purpose of these oaths? Oaths are designed to encourage truthfulness or to make truthfulness all the more solemn. Are we following that? That's the purpose. Now, here in the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus is going to raise some issues regarding what was happening at the time. And also, I think you and I learn a little bit about how important it is what we're saying with our mouth. We're going to find out speech is an important ingredient in life. As a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs says there's the power, there's life and death in the power of the tongue. You're either bringing healing or destruction by the words you're saying. And God's evaluating all of our words because they're actually reflecting something far deeper. So I'm going to look at three things regarding integrity of speech. That speech needs to have, it needs to be integrated, it needs to be whole. And the first one is simply what was the intent here that Jesus is talking about in regard to the law? In other words, what did the Old Testament have to say about oaths? First of all, all oaths were sworn in God's name and were not to be false or to be entered into lightly or irreverently. Otherwise, they would pollute and profane the name of God. So Leviticus 19.12 says this, Do not swear falsely by my name and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Now, in the Ten Commandments, there is a commandment that says, do not take the name, of your, uh, the name of the Lord your God in vain. How many have read that? As a matter of fact, it says that here in verse, chapter 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Now that word, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. You know what that word vain means? It means in an empty, light way. Now, when you and I think about taking the Lord's name in vain, what do we think about normally? Swearing. That's it. Profanity, swearing, vulgarity, that's the kind of thing, right? We take it that way. And, and often what we don't realize is that we rarely think of it as taking his name lightly. We don't think of it that way, right? We just think of it as swearing. You know, I was saying, when we were praying this morning, I said, I've, I've yet to hear someone when they hit their thumb with a hammer say, oh, Buddha. You know, I just, I never hear that, you know, right? Anybody heard that yet? Uh, no, I haven't heard that. You know, it's interesting what people say. So we know that swearing is a part of it, but it's not all of it. And this is where we get into trouble. 
You know, sometimes in taking his name in an empty or meaningless way, we attribute things to the Lord oftentimes when it's just our understanding of what we think it is what he wants. And I think sometimes this can be taken in a vain sort of way. And I'm going to give you an example. Sometimes people will say things like, well, God told me. Now, in the book of Isaiah, it says, don't say God told you. I don't think we, we you know, and I, I hear that a lot. That's a, that's a very Christian vocabulary concept. But the moment you say it that way, God told me, then what you're basically saying, I mean, literally is, well, you can't really speak into my life because, I mean, God already told me to do this, and so I'm just going to go do it, right? You kind of put the ultimate trump card. God's telling me to do this. See, it would be a lot wiser on our part. See, I, I think a little bit about this stuff. It might be wiser on our part to say, this is what I think God is telling me. And I'll tell you why it's wise to say it that way. Because if you tell me God told me, then, and then you come and come to me and you say, what do you think? I'm going, well, if God told you, who am I going to argue with God? You know, I don't have any say in this. But if you come to me and say, Pastor, I think God's telling me this, then you're inviting my input. How many see the difference? And you see, the Bible says, in the multitude of counsel, there's safety. And so it's a lot better for us to say, you know, this is what I think God may be saying into my life, and I'm inviting people to speak into it. Because I've had people tell me, God's told me, and I'm sitting there listening to them, and I know God never told them that. And you say, well, how do you know that, Pastor? Because I know the Bible fairly well, and sometimes when they're telling me this, it's the exact opposite of what the Bible says. But they just want to do it. So they're putting God's name in as this is the kicker point. I'm going to do this because God's telling me to do it. And in my mind, I'm saying they're taking the Lord's name in vain. See how my mind's working? You didn't know that, but that's how it's, I'm thinking. You know, I'm going, this is, you're taking God in an empty sort of way, and God is not going to say something different than what he's written here. He's not going to contradict it. So you, you, you can't go down that track. And I think it's wise when we come and say, you know, I think God's showing me this or telling me this or this is what I think. What do you think? Would God be in this? And I'm inviting other mature people to speak into my life. And a lot of times there's good input that way. It's getting very quiet in here. <laughs> it goes on here. You know, it's important too. Another way we take the Lord's name in vain, and I don't think we think about this one, is when we don't fulfill what we said we were going to do. Okay. You see, when a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to obligate himself by a pledge, he must not break his word but must do everything he said. Now, you know, we live in a world today where we say a lot of stuff but we don't mean it. We make a lot of commitments we don't plan on keeping. But can I tell you, when you read the Bible, God gets really hung up on what we say. If you haven't noticed this, remember the story of Joshua He's going in to take the promised land. God's told him to take out the inhabitants of the land because these people have polluted the land. God's given them 400 years to repent. They've degenerated as a culture. It's a very violent, ungodly, profane culture. They're sacrificing their children. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And uh, the, Gide the Gibeonites realize they're in trouble, so they pretend to be from another region of the world and coming to make a treaty with Israel. The Bible says Joshua and the elders didn't inquire of God. They were deceived. They made a covenant with them. This is found, by the way, in Joshua chapter 9. And so all of a sudden, once they found out that they were deceived, they said, hey, this doesn't qualify us. We made a commitment to these people under the guise of deception. You know what Joshua said? No, we have to honor our word. We have to keep this commitment. 
And I believe that Joshua was correct. And if they would have violated that, Israel would have suffered by God because now they had you know, said they were going to do something. So what, am I, what are we learning from all of this? Be very slow to make commitments. You know, that's why James says it's better to, you know, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get upset and angry. That's wisdom on our side. And, and so we have to be careful when we're, we're saying things because when we say things, we're binding ourselves to this situation, and we need to realize that. So God is making us become people of integrity, people of our word. I read a story by uh, George Munzing who talks about a friend of his who was telling about his father. And he said, my sister was looking for a job in the summertime. How many of you have ever had this experience? You're looking for work and you've applied in a few places and you're hoping to get one job and you get offered a different job. Okay? That's never happened to any of you? Some of you are going, oh yeah, chuckle here and there. But what happened then was, this is what happened to his sister. So she goes back to her dad, and no sooner does she, she, you know, she decides this is just for the summer, I'll take this job, but she was hoping to get this other job. And a few days later, the other job phones, and they offer her the job. Then she goes to her dad and goes, what do I do? And her dad says, let me get this straight. Did you promise you would work for these guys, for this summer, yeah? Well, then why are we having this conversation? You see, when you and I say something, we need to follow through with it. And so when we're a person of integrity, when we're a person that we make a commitment and we follow through with it, that's powerful stuff. And sometimes we will be offered things better afterwards, but we have to turn it down because uh, we've said what we're gonna do. Now you go, well, pastor, that's, you can't be that rigid, can you? Well, let me just show you a verse of scripture found in the Psalms. Psalm 15.1 talks about the person whom God's going to honor. See, for me, it's all about honoring God, right? If you want God to honor your life, you have to honor God. If you disregard what God has to say, he doesn't feel obligated to honor your life. Now listen to what it says, Psalm 15, 1. Lord, who may ascend into your sacred tent? In other words, who has access into your presence? Who may live on your holy mountain? I mean, what kind of a person can actually w live with God? He says, the one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, does the right thing, and speaks the truth from where? Their heart. They're not just saying it with their lips, but they have no intention of fulfilling it. Whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor, who casts no slur on others, who despises a vile man but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath, I've, I've italicized this part, who keeps an oath even when it hurts or it costs something and does not change their mind. In other words, I've made a commitment and even though now I'm finding out it was more than I thought it would be, I've made this commitment and I'm gonna fulfill it. That's it. That's the kind of person God says, you have, you have my attention. You, I'm, you're, I'm gonna honor your life because you're honoring me you know why this is so important? Because when you do this, you're like God. This is how God behaves. When God makes a promise, God doesn't keep changing his mind. How many are glad God doesn't keep changing his mind? You know, that's why he said to Balaam and Balak, he said, listen, you guys, God is not like men. He does not change his mind. God does not repent and change his mind. God said, this is what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do it. How many think there's a kind of a, a sense of security and knowing when God says something, he's gonna follow through? I can bank my whole life on what God says because he's a person of integrity and he's not gonna change his mind in midstream. Aren't you glad for that? 
Thank God for that. Now, listen to what God says here in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is saying this, but that's God. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty, vain word they have spoken. See that empty is vain. Whatever, you know, every light word. As a matter of fact, for by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So I think we gotta, we got to start thinking, okay, what am I committing myself to? And I, when I was a parent, you know, because now I'm a grandparent, my kids are gone, but if they said to me, Dad, can we do this? Now, I knew that if I promised them, I'd have to live it out, and I'd go, listen, let me consider. Let me think about this. Let me get back to you on this. You're going, you're, you're hedging. I'm going, absolutely, because I know that if I promise it, they're going to be in my space from this day until it happens, right? Because you've made the promise, and you know what? If you're a person of integrity, you've got to carry it out. So be careful what you're promising, because sometimes you can't deliver it. The second concept is regarding the misinterpretations of the law's intent. Now, these religious leaders, they had no, you know what they were doing? They had no uh, intention of fulfilling what they were vowing to. Isn't that sad? So they were making, you know what they were doing? They They were developing a code of conduct that says if you say these words, you're bound. But if you say these words slightly different, you're off the hook. That's what was going on. You see, and that's why Jesus was, was saying things like, look, but I tell you, do not swear at all, either by heaven or for it's by God's throne or by the earth for it's his footstool or by Jerusalem for it's the city of the great king. See, Jewish tradition held that oaths using God's name were binding, whereas those avoiding God's name were not. So I'm, I'm committing by heaven, okay? But they weren't committing by God. You see, there, it's a play on words. So Jesus is going is to deal with these guys for doing this trick. Jesus now teaches that any such practice is misguided because God is necessarily involved in all transactions. Heaven is his throne, earth is his footstool, Jerusalem is a city, even the color of a person's hair is beyond human control. And of course, I add, apart from artificial change. You know, Okay. They're playing with words. Now listen to what Jesus says to them in Matthew 23. Probably the most scathing denouncement of people, the most harsh words that Jesus said to anybody was these people playing these word games. He said, you're blind guides. What sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it's binding to swear by the gold of the temple. Blind fools, what's more important, the gold or the temple, which makes gold sacred? And you say to swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gift on the altar is binding. How blind, for which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? He's basically saying, you guys are playing word games. This is all binding. When you swear by the altar, you're swearing by it and everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you're swearing by it and by God who lives in it. So you haven't gone around the name of God is what Jesus is telling them. And when you swear by heaven, you're swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. Wow. Do we have any understanding of the power words? Do we really realize that our society's well-being is being determined by our verbal integrity? Now, let me point it out this way. How many here, you have a, you, you've really struggled believing what politicians say today? Anybody struggle with that? Aren't your hands should all be up? <laughs> 
we're struggling. Why? Because we've been told so many things that people don't do that now it means absolutely nothing. So when you say, are political statements trustworthy, most people roll their eyes. You know? Why do, they have undermined their own authority and credibility by doing that. So when you actually meet somebody that says what they mean and mean what they say, and when they say it, they're going to do it, it's shocking. Right? You know, you can say anything you want to about Trump. You can love him, hate him, whatever you want to say. But one thing you have to say, when he tells people he's going to do something and then he does it, it freaks everybody out. <laughs> right? You know, that's like, he's not a politician. And kind of when he ran for office, he said, I'm not a politician, and it's about time we don't have a politician leading our country. Now, I'm not necessarily endorsing him. I'm not suggesting that. I'm just saying, wouldn't it be refreshing if we had somebody just do what they're going to say they're going to do? Isn't that kind of refreshing once in a while? And, you know, you're saying, well, that's so great in the political arena, but how about in our personal lives? Wouldn't it be refreshing if husbands just meant what they said and wives just meant what they said? And wouldn't that kind of change the family dynamics a little bit and stop all the gamemanship that goes on? You know, it's actually, you know, what a, you know let me just say this, and I love this, and I've shared this at weddings. What a marvelous thing. Louis Schmidt says this. When a person makes a promise, he or she reaches out into an unpredictable future and makes one thing predictable. He or she will be there even when being there costs him or her more than they want to pay. When a person makes a promise, he or she stretches him or herself out into a circumstance that no one can control and then controls at least one thing. He or she will be there no matter what the circumstances turn out to be. With one simple word of promise, a person creates an island of certainty in a sea of uncertainty. Isn't that powerful? In other words, a lot of things may change in our life. And you know one thing I notice about marriage? I've been married 40 years. Things change over 40 years. But you know, I have to think back to the day when Patty came down the aisle and there was the minister there and I st stood there. And of course, I'm in Bible college and I'm a Christian and I'm thinking about the words I'm saying. And it says, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. And I'm making this vow before God. And God is listening to my words. And he's holding me to those words until death do us part. It's getting real quiet in here. <laughs> I understand things don't always turn out the way we anticipate it. I understand there's circumstances beyond our control. I get all of that. I'm not negating all of those things. All I'm trying to get across today is be careful what you say. Be careful what you're committing to, okay? And it is so rare and refreshing to meet people who are pure, sincere, and have no hidden agenda, who mean what they say and say what they mean and who live out their commitments. Isn't that powerful? To come into relationship with people who are living to please him first and have a concern about others before themselves. That is so rare and so powerful. Listen, you know what my pledge to you is? I want you to be better people. That's why I'm speaking on this that you and I will be very careful what we're going to say because that's so powerful in our lives. Let me move on to the last concept regarding integrity of speech. And it's simply this. Jesus is encouraging us to actually have integrity in our speech. Okay? Jesus wants his disciples to understand regarding oath. It's quite simple. Verse 37, here it comes. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. 
Again, I'm going to quote the New Testament scholar D.A. Carson. He says, In the Jewish oral tradition, there were so many rules regarding oaths that one rabbi stated, If you swear by Jerusalem, you're not bound by your vow. But if you swear toward Jerusalem, then you're bound by your vow. What is this, guys? You know, it, it's, it's, it's sad, right? It's, it's designed to deceive people. And that's what God hates, that kind of nonsense. The swearing of oath thus degenerated into terrible rules which let you know when you could get away with lying and deception and when you couldn't. Isn't that sad? You know, these oaths no longer foster truthfulness but weaken the cause of truth and promote a deceit. Swearing evasively becomes justification for lying. The real question here in the passage is truthfulness. I love the way James says it. Here, he says it very simply. James is reiterating what Jesus is saying. Oh, by the way, these guys are half-brothers. Did you guys know that? James is the half-brother of Jesus in the flesh. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. Just say yes. Just say no. That's it. You know, one of the areas that Satan tries to trip up a believer is in our speech. By the way, you know what his native language is? Lying. Satan is the father of all lies. His native language is lying. He's a deceiver. James says this, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect. Able to keep their whole body in check. In other words, why is this? Because what's coming out of your mouth is coming from your heart. And when you have your heart right, you'll get your mouth right. And if you have self-control, it means that you're walking with a heart of wisdom, and you begin to control the rest of your life. It's so powerful. So, <clears throat> let me just close with this. I'm coming to the end here. Do you know in my grandfather's day, it was real simple. Your word was your bond. If you said it, you committed yourself to it. You didn't need a contract, because they understood something very fundamental. And it was just simply this, that what you say defines who you really are. You know, today we even have contractual, and I would even argue, you need contracts today because you cannot trust, even contractually, what's going to happen because sometimes people even get out of contracts. It is the truth. But isn't it interesting when you have the right heart, you say the right things, and you're thinking, what I say, I'm binding myself to. Now, why is that important? Listen to what it says in Psalm 138 too. I will bow down toward your holy temple and praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness for you have so exalted your solemn decree. Speaking of God, the solemn decree of course is God's word, right? That it surpasses your fame, what he has done. The King James says it this way, you honor your word above your name. In other words, your word is who you are. That's what he's getting across here. Your word is who you are. You see, that's very powerful. We need to understand it that way. And I want to close with a story. I don't know if this is equally true today, but in years gone by, a lot of these universities, especially in the States, were started by Christians. Does anybody know that? A lot of them. It's really shocking. And in Vanderbilt, and I don't know if this is true today, but I'll tell you what, years ago, they had an honor code that was respected throughout the institution. A freshman is a first-year student. When they went to the university, they pledged to do their own academic work with integrity and to report those who did not do 
their work to the student honor council. The students would then sign their names on display in the lobby of the Surat Student Center, which became the Surat Student Center. They would sign their names and say, I, I, this is my honor to do my own work and not let anybody else do it for me. That's pretty powerful. Now think about it. In 1978, the teacher who they named the center after was named Madison Surratt. He was a math teacher. He had an amazing impact in the life of his students. Many of them years later, even into adulthood, remembered this teacher because this is what he would do when he was giving an exam. He'd say this, today I'm going to give you two examinations, one in trigonometry and one in honesty. I hope you pass them both, but if you must fail one, let it be trigonometry. For there are many good people in this world today who cannot pass an examination in trigonometry, but there are no good people in the world who cannot pass an examination in honesty. And so many of those students said that that stayed with them throughout their adult lives. So let's take a moment. Let's reflect. Are there vows and promises that we have made that litter our past with unfulfillment written over them? In other words, I said I was going to do this, but I didn't. I'm sure everyone in this room could say yes. Maybe you can't, but I, I have to raise my hand. I'd have to raise my hand and say, Lord, I've failed. Now, aren't you glad that God's a forgiving God? And we could say, okay, Lord, I have failed in the past. I can't undo what I did in the past. You can't undo the past, right? But you know how you can change the future? By making the right decisions today. That's how the future changes. If at all possible, even though it may cost you something, let's do what needs to be done in order to become people of integrity. A person of integrity means that you are a person, you are what, we, what you say. You do what you say you're going to do. What promises have you made that you haven't kept? I think if it's possible, try to fulfill them. But if it's not, forget about it. You can't. As Jesus pointed out, let your yes be yes, your no be mo no, no more, no less. Let's stand. How many think that if we lived in a world that people just did the right thing and when they said things, they followed through on it, we'd be living in a different world? Anybody think that's true? That's totally true. Isn't that, isn't that right? You know, the problem isn't our mouth. That's what we think it is. It's far deeper. The only way to change our mouths is to have a heart change. Because Jesus, and Proverbs says it, and Jesus says it too. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen to what the psalmist says. It says, let the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh God. You see, when I'm talking about the heart, I'm talking about the, your inner being. I'm talking about the essence of who you are, where your head is at, what you're thinking about, where you're reflecting, what you're considering. That's your heart. And I'm going to argue today and say it very directly, the only way my heart can change is if I give my heart to God. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs, it says, give me your heart. 
And if I say, okay, God, I am going to give my heart to you. I'm going to entrust it to you. I'm going to yield my will over. I'm going to give my life to you. I'm going to just yield to you. Lord, would you come and begin this transforming work in my heart? And as that change happens on the inside, it's going to begin to reflect on what I say. It's going to begin to reflect on what I do. The change is going to come from the inside out, and pretty soon I'm going to be saying congruent things. I'm going to be becoming a person of integrity. I'm going to be growing in this experience. But maybe you're here today. Let me warn us all that there's not one liar that's going to be in heaven. Did you know that? I can prove that to you if you read Revelation 21.8. It says all liars will not inherit the kingdom of God. And some of us in this room, we struggle with telling the truth. And the Bible says the only way to displace falsehood is by speaking the truth. And it starts with a change of heart. So I have to say, you know what? To really fear God. See, I believe the greatest need right now in our lives is that the fear of God, and what I mean by that is such an honor and respect for God, that I'm living to play to an audience of one. If that happens in my life, then it doesn't matter what people are thinking about me or whatever else. I'm more concerned about what God thinks. When I get to that place, my heart becomes changed and I become the person God is wanting me to become. And eventually, I'm actually able to have a higher regard for myself. And by the way, that's not bad because if you don't regard yourself very well, you're not going to regard others well. If you don't love yourself, Jesus says, you can't love others. And a lot of us, we have a lot of shame in our life and a lot of brokenness, and we don't even respect ourselves, so how can we respect other people? I'm telling you today, you can change. This is a message of hope. You can change. You can become a person that's being changed from the inside out. Your heart can change. Your mouth can change. You can become a person of integrity. Wow, is this ever amazing? Isn't that great? It's good news. So with every head bowed right now, don't look around. No, it's just between you and God. You're just saying, you know, Pastor, I realize today I am not a person of verbal integrity. That's you right now. Just raise your hand. Just raise your hand all over the place. Yeah, hands are going up. I've made promises I haven't kept them. Raise your hand. Raise your hands today. And you're saying, you know what? Today, I want God to change my heart. That's you. Just put your hand up. That's me. I want my heart changed. I need to be changed from the inside out, Pastor. I'm, oh, I'm allowing God, I'm giving my heart to God so he can change me so that all of a sudden my words can start changing. See, you can try, but you're going to fail if it's just you and your strength. But I'll tell you, if you say, okay, God, here's my heart. It's broken. I know it's messed up. I've had a hard time with commitments. and I know whatever the reason why I've gotten to that place, doesn't matter. I'm just giving my heart to you, Lord. I'm just going to start trusting you to change my heart. Create in me a new heart, O oh God. Renew a right spirit in me. That's what the psalmist prayed. Create in me, O oh God, a new heart. And renew a right spirit in me. Allow the fear of God to displace the fear of man. Help me not to be so worried about what people think about me, but to be more concerned about what you think about me that I'm living to serve and please you. And may my words be congruent with yours. May the words of my lips and the meditation of my heart 
be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. I thank you for hearing my prayer, Father. I thank you for renewing my heart today. I thank you for the inner change you're bringing into my life. I thank you, Lord, it's going to change the way I relate to people around me. It's going to change the way I speak to people. It's going to change the way I make promises or don't make promises. I'm going to let my yes be yes and my no be no. I'm not going to fool around. I'm going to be a person of integrity. My word will identify me because it'll be my bond. I'm going to be that kind of person because you're going to help me, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you leave this morning.